turn to Mark chapter 6 this morning. Uh, We're looking at uh, verses 30 through 44. And the disciples have just gotten back from a short-term mission. And uh, there's going to be a time here for rest and also to uh, a miracle in the sense of Jesus revealing uh, his power uh, to the disciples in a way that would surprise them in a way that they had never seen before. And we want to pick it up in verse 30. Uh, Then the disciples gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, uh, and they did not even have time to eat. And so they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities, and they arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a departed place, deserted place rather, already the hour is late, and send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread? And give them something to eat. And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? And go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he blessed and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before them. The two fish they divided among them all. And so they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets of full fragments of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men, and probably with women and children, probably seven to eight thousand. But Father, we praise you today. And Lord, as we have once again draw near to this week where we celebrate Thanksgiving, we thank you, Lord, that every day. We give thanks and praise to you. And Lord, for your faithful, faithful, faithfulness, Lord, your mercies, your grace over the last year in so many different ways, Lord, have you taken care of us. So we give you thanks for that. Lord, keep us, we pray, uh, to have an attitude of gratitude. Lord, knowing that, Lord, you're watching over us, you're ministering to us, you're meeting every need. And so, Father, I thank you for those that are here this morning. Lord, as we open your word once again, I pray that you would speak. Lord, just as you fed, Lord, the multitudes that day, Lord, we too, we need to be fed. We need to be fed with that heavenly manna, that you would speak into our lives. Lord, you know our past, our our present, our future. And Lord, we thank you that your word, your truth is always relevant. Lord, always speaking to that deepest need, Lord, within our hearts and within our lives. And so, Lord, we invite you. You're always the guest of honor. Lord, you're our shepherd. Lord, you're our chief 
our pastor. And we ask you, Lord, to, uh, to meet with us now. We love you. Lord, we need you. And we ask all these things, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, as we find here in this particular story, the disciples have just returned uh, from a short-term mission. And uh, they have experienced uh, some incredible things, no doubt. Um, when you think about how insufficient they were in and of themselves, that all of a sudden they were equipped to, per- to perform miracles, to heal the sick, uh, to do all those sorts of things. And you can imagine the rejoicing that they had when they came back. But Jesus says something interesting uh, related to this event and also the one that would follow, which is 70 returning. He said, don't rejoice uh, in the fact that the, the demons are subject to you. Uh, but rejoice in the fact that uh, your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And uh, I think sometimes there's a danger uh, for us to rejoice in successfulness um, because there's a pride in that. And, and just to rejoice in the fact that, you know, that we're saved. I think that's something in a sense that I think we should be rejoicing about each and every day. You know, one of the things as we come to this week of Thanksgiving I find it fascinating at some of the things that people thank, uh, are thankful for. Well, we're thankful to ourselves. Oh, <laughs> really? Uh, uh, how about being thankful to the Lord? And, uh, you know, as we think about all the things that He has done for us and everything that we really have, it's been by the goodness and the mercy, you know, of His hand. And so we need to remember that. And perhaps maybe you might be having dinner with family that are um, not churched or, or not saved and uh, perhaps maybe you have an opportunity. A lot of times, you know, when, when, when uh, somebody like you or I are at the table and our family knows who we are, you know, we're the one religious nut in the family, so they always turn to us for, you know, for, for prayer. And if that's the case, uh, may the Lord give you a, a very thankful prayer uh, to signify your appreciation and, your, and your, your just the blessings that God brings into our life each and every day. Now, they had become so busy at this particular point, they needed a break. Uh, I think it was Vance Havner that said, uh, he was an evangel- a Southern evangelist, and he said that if you don't come apart, you will fall apart, and how true that is. You know, we need times to just be at the feet of Jesus, just to be resting, you know, just to breathe in, you know, that, that fresh vitality. There's something, there's something that, that wonderfully takes place, and I think it's a sort of a transfer, if you will, of the grace of God uh, and, and God's life flowing into us when we're just waiting upon him. We're just in that place of meditating. Uh, for me, in the morning, it's just uh, I want to get my cup of tea and just open my Bible. want to spend some time praying. And, I, I, you know, time after time after time, uh, there's been just that transaction between heaven and my heart. You know, God just speaking into my soul, refreshing me. You need that. A lot of times we just, we burn out. We burn out if we don't take time to just really sit at the feet of Jesus. And there's something restless about our human nature. Uh, where, we, we, you know, sometimes God, uh, there's been times with me anyway, with, where he's just had to put me in a sick bed so he can minister to me because I've just been so active uh, in doing his work uh, and forgetting about, you know, the master of the work. And I think it's important that, uh, and Jesus here, knowing that the disciples, as well as himself, um, you know, we, we saw him that time in the boat uh, when we were looking at a, an earlier event in this Gospel of Mark, when here he's asleep, fast asleep in the boat because he's working so hard. And so we need, we need that uh, certainly as well. As we look at these uh, verses 20, or 32 and 33, 
uh, we see their pursuit of him, just a passion, you know, just a passion that they have, you know, to be with him, um, knowing their need of him. Uh, you know, Jesus said in the, in the great sermon on the mount, he said, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. And when we have that kind of a passion, that kind of hunger and thirst, uh, God's going to fill that. Uh, there's something about the human nature that there's a thirst and a hunger deep within us. And I think oftentimes it can be misread. Uh, I remember growing up in an alcoholic home and, and just as a kid, just as a little kid, you know, watching these people that come over, my parents, you know, anytime there was an opportunity to drink, uh, whatever holiday it was, man, they would be drinking and they, and it was just a lot of, a lot of alcohol was consumed. And, you know, I used to look and, and just watch them as a kid, just a little kid, thinking, you know, wow, why do they keep drinking so much? You know, isn't their thirst, you know, you know, slacked, whatever the case may be? But what it is, is just that that hunger and thirst that's deep within the, the heart of a human being that can only be satisfied by him. There, there's nothing material. Uh, there's no substance that's really going to satisfy that, 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 that inner drive to be, you know, to be fulfilled and to be satisfied. Uh, and particularly now as we come into the holidays, once again, um, you know, many people are just going to be, you know, thinking, you know, I'm just going to have a great time, uh, you know, drinking and, and enjoying life and that sort of thing. But there's, a, there's that hunger there. There's that thirst that only can be satisfied, you know, by him. And I think we need to remind people of that. I think we, as we're given opportunity to, to speak, you know, into someone's life, because you know what? Everybody, everybody has that deep abiding hunger and thirst way down in their soul. They're trying to saturate it and, and satisfy it in different ways, material things, you know, the acquisition of things, or even moving from relationship to relationship. There's so many different ways, you know, people try to satisfy that, but it's only by a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And uh, so we see this passion here, you know, in these people. And uh, it says many, they, they knew him, and they knew about him. They knew what he could do. Um, and so they, ran, they run there on foot, and they arrive even before the disciples and Jesus get there, you know, in the boat. You know, I was thinking about this, how, you know, the Bible tells us that we need to run to, from temptation. But also, too, I think we need to run to him. Um, I think that's just so critical that we're, you know, we run to a lot of things. But we need to be running to him, you know, to spend time with him and to, you know, get our spiritual food from him. Now, we really see the heart of Christ uh, in, in these next couple of verses here. Uh, and there's never a thought for himself. He's always thinking. He's always thinking, even though, even at times when he's tired, uh, he's always thinking. He's, you know, driven by this heart of compassion. And, and we see this here, we're told in verse 34, that he's moved. And has that ever happened for you that you've maybe, and one of the things that happened for me when I was in China and Vietnam, <clears throat> and China's like one quarter of the world's population, like 1.3 billion people. And it's amazing just the the amount of people that are constantly on the move. When I, look, when I was in these different cities, uh, Kunming in China and, and Haiku and, and Hanoi in Vietnam, um, you know, Hanoi is just, uh, you know, uh, sort of behind the times compared to China. And uh, they have these motorbikes. Everybody has a motorbike. And it was interesting to watch this. And as you would look at the streets, it looked like a sea. 
just like you would see a rushing river. It was like a sea of motorbikes, you know, coming down the street and people, you know, busy going to wherever they were going. And it was just, I never thought I'd have to pray just across the street. Um, I can't tell you how many times a motorbike just sort of brushed me. Um, and they're very skilled. Uh, they're incredibly skilled. I was, you know, just watching these guys, you know, as I'm in the car, and uh, and they're going weaving in and out of traffic, and 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 women in their business suits on their little motorbikes, and uh, and there was one where there was a family. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the husband was up here, and there's two little kids squashed between mom, who's on the back of the motorbike. <laughs> and it's just amazing that uh, there was never an accident. And, uh, you know, just to, to watch, you know, this, this, this lifestyle that is so incredibly different than ours. But, but here's the thing that I was going to say. Watching all these people, it's like, Lord, these people, by and large, they don't know you. There's just these multitudes of people, and it's like the Lord just, and it's just like a tear came to my eye, and I just started praying, you know, in a compassionate kind of way that the Lord would, would, would work and save these people. Uh, you know, these people, every, everybody's, you know, everybody's going to spend time in eternity. It's just where are you going to spend it? And without Christ, there's only, a, there's only one other place where people are going to spend eternity, amen? And we don't want to see people go there. And that's why I think the Lord touches, you know, our hearts with just a compassion uh, as we see the need around us. And that's why it's very important. The Bible says, you know, be careful that we don't become so hardened because of life and insensitive, you know, that when we see people that have needs, that we just we simply ignore it. Um, yes, maybe, you know, God isn't called uh, anybody here, maybe beside maybe myself or somebody else, you know, to go and visit some of these nations. But the fact of the matter is this need is still tremendous and great all around us. People are lost. They're lost without God. And, and you and I have got this incredible privilege where God says that you and, and myself were ambassadors, that were, that were called to represent him. Uh, when you, I was thinking about it in relation to, you know, think about the ambassador to Russia or to France or Germany or some other country. And, our, you know, Washington, D.C. is filled with ambassadors to other nations. Your ambassadorship, my ambassadorship, is actually more important. And why is that? Because it has an eternal aspect to it. That when we share, you know, this good news, this message that we have, it's a message that if somebody believes it, that they will be able to receive Christ in their life and be saved and redeemed. And their names, their names also too, will be written in the Lamb's book of life. So here we see here in verse 34, he sees them as sheep, not having a shepherd. What a picture of humanity. The sheep without a shepherd, just, just this sort of wandering. And there's something interesting about sheep, you know. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Philip Keller's um, a, a, a Shepherd um, looks at Psalm 24, 23 rather, I'm sorry. Um, and he was a shepherd, and he's written some other, he's written uh, a couple other things relative to, to shepherding. And, and over the years, they're classics, I've, I've, I've read them. And, um, but there's similarities between us, us human beings, uh, and sheep. And I was thinking of a few different things uh, that came to mind for me uh, that, uh, you know, that uh, remind us, uh, you know, of our vulnerabilities that God sees us like sheep. Uh, first of all, sheep are fearful. They're skittish. 
If you ever walk up to a fence where there's a flock of sheep, and, and I don't know if you've ever been down Turk Hill Road in Fairport. Uh, they've had a flock of sheep down there for years. And if you walk up to a fence, say a, a, a pasture somewhere, if there's a horse, if there's a cow, they may come over to you looking for something to eat. But sheep, no way. They see you, they look at you, and they run the other way. They're just sort of fearful, and they're sort of skittish, you know, just about the, their very existence. And the other thing about sheep is, too, you know what? They're not very smart. Now, when you, when, you, when you think about human nature, you know, people can be incredibly intelligent and brilliant in certain areas, but when it comes to things spiritual, you know, here's this guy, he can have maybe five PhDs. You know, he's a great scientist, but when it comes to spiritual things, he's a dunce. And it's only really by the grace of God does he open our eyes, you know, to see the things that really make any kind of spiritual sense, Amen. So like sheep here, we, you know, people can be, uh, and especially you know, when it comes to moral issues and spiritual issues, uh, it can be very, 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 very dumb. Sheep are dependent. They are dependent upon someone else uh, versus independent. You, know, you look at some of the other wild animals, you know, they, will, they refuse to be domesticated. Uh, they can fend for themselves. Uh, sometimes, I, as I've hunted over the years, you just wonder about all these, you know, thousands of deer and other creatures that live out there. How do they survive? Like, they can't go to Wegmans, okay? They can't go to the, they, their, you know, their supermarket is the field and, you know, catching some mouse or, you know, whatever the case may be, but yet they survive. But sheep are absolutely dependent. They're dependent on someone to take care of them. Much like, in a sense, you and I. Sheep wander off. Uh, reminds me of that, that, uh, that old hymn. Uh, when we sing that, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. When you, when you say those words, don't you sometimes just kind of relate to that? Yeah, Lord, I got this wanderlust in me. And, and Lord, it's got me in trouble many different times. And that's something about a sheep, too. They, 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 they tend to, to wander from the flock. And when they do, it could be kind of a costly thing. Uh, then, then the other thing about, a, about sheep is, you know what? They need a flock. They need community, just like you and I. People know this even outside of Christ. And, and notice, you know, when somebody gets, gets uh, cloistered and they get alienated, they get very, very strange. You know, they get a little weird when, they, when a person gets off by themselves for too long a time. Uh, we need community. Uh, each one of us um, is an asset to, to the other person. You know, we, we need uh, to be accountable to one another. Uh, we need to be able to talk to other people, bounce things off other people. Community is very, very important. And that's why, in a sense, God has brought us into a body, a community of believers. Yes, we may have friends and relatives and connections out there, but more importantly, we need to have spiritual community among ourselves in a sense of being God's flock. The other thing about sheep is they're vulnerable to danger. They sometimes tend to put themselves in situations like they'll walk close to a cliff and fall over the cliff and do things like that. Um, sometimes, too, a sheep will get, um, you ever heard of a sheep becoming cast? Uh, it, it, their wool has gotten so heavy on them that if they lay down, they can just simply flip over like that and they can't get up. They're on their back and that sort of thing. And uh, they, uh, they, they are vulnerable creatures. The other thing about sheep is they need guidance. They need direction in their lives. 
And that's one thing that God provides for us. You know, He's our shepherd. He'll give us direction. He'll give us guidance. He will lead us. Uh, Isaiah 40 says that he will lead us gently, those who, who are with young. And you see, he's the perfect shepherd. That's why we have three terms for, for, for the Messiah, for Christ uh, in the scriptures. He's not only the good shepherd, um, he's the chief shepherd. Um, what was the other one? I, good shepherd, chief shepherd, um, it escapes me. I, uh, I had it for first service, and then it, it, it went, out, went out my ear, I guess. Um, but anyway, they're insecure in themselves. You see that in human nature, don't you? Um, one of the things that breaks my heart is to see how the, uh, the older generation is helping to shape the younger generation with the wrong kind of example. And we see that going on in our culture in, in a big way, because there's a certain insecurity in youth, and we know this because we were all there at one particular point. There's certain insecurities about life. Uh, people have certain insecurities today even. It's, it's rather, I know it's rather new in the last 10 years, but people are having insecurities about their, you know, in, in a way that has been broadcast uh, relative to their gender. A little boy doesn't, you know, he doesn't feel like a little boy. A little girl doesn't feel like a little girl. And there's all these kind of insecurities and issues that people are dealing with. Um, and I'm so thankful, you know, for the grace of God to speak into our lives that he has created us and whatever gender he has given us, uh, that, that, you know, that's God's plan and purpose, you know, for our lives. Uh, another thing about sheep is they're defenseless. They're easily led to the slaughter. Remember, it speaks of Christ. He went as a lamb to the slaughter. They're, they're rather defenseless. You know, you see, a, you, you ever seen sometimes, I've, I've seen in these, some of these nature programs where you have a flock of sheep and here this wolf comes flying into the, into the flock. And, and do the other sheep protect the other sheep? No, they just sort of run. Uh, they're rather defenseless. And uh, we've come to realize this, don't we? How vulnerable we really are. I think you can only really fully understand that because I think, you know, as I grew up as a, as a young guy in Philadelphia, you, know, you kind of had to toughen up. You kind of had, you know, you kind of had to toughen up, and uh, if you're going to make it on the streets and that sort of thing, but you kind of realize after you come to Christ that you can never be tough enough. That that you know that that you know that we're weak. We need someone. To, we need someone to be our defender, and the Lord says that He would wonderfully, He would be that. And and last but not least, we absolutely need a shepherd. We need a master in our lives. I think there's a lot of people going through life. And they're simply making the wrong thing their master, making the wrong thing their God. And it's only when we truly come in. And I can remember, I can remember, uh, um, it comes to mind that uh, Margie and I, when in 1974, 75, we had one child at that point, and, and we said we had this agreement, we're not going to have any more children. And, and, and it, was, it was born and based out of the fact that we just didn't know how to raise them. We were just looking at the craziness of the culture and the society around us. And, um, and we realized that we didn't have any kind of guidance or direction. And so we were more motivated by fear. But it's interesting, as soon as Christ came into our life in 1975, that question was answered. How quickly that question was sort of resolved with a lot of other questions about life because I knew that I knew uh, that whatever God did was going to be good. And, and certainly we went on to have four, five, four more children and, uh, and, and, and 
and we're, we're just so thankful, you know, for God's leading and direction re- regarding those particular matters. And, you know, John chapter 10 says this about uh, our shepherd, that um, uh, we hear his voice. And there's something about when you belong to the Lord's flock that you, you can hear him, in a sense, speaking into your heart and speaking, you know, into your life. And we need that. We need you know, the voice of the Lord to be able to speak in and to have that assurance and that sense of guidance and direction. And, um, and the mere fact that, hey, Lord, you, you want to be our shepherd. We are so grateful and thankful now for that. Now, uh, this miracle is one of, I think it's the only miracle of Jesus that we find in all four Gospels. Um, most, most of them we find, you know, in the Synoptic Gospels. is this one, and I think if you want to find out the content of what he taught them, uh, you would have to look at John chapter 6. And uh, as far as the things that he taught and he shared at this particular time. But what we see here is that Jesus began to teach them. He always speaks to the greatest need in our lives. Here's this mass of people, all kinds of other needs, physical, material, but the priority need is truth. That's why Jesus said the truth will set you free and the truth will keep you free. And even though he was going to take care of these other things later, the the priority, that's why I think sometimes uh, churches have gotten in trouble when they focus on a social gospel. And what I mean by a social gospel, just taking care of the external needs of people. Now, there's a place for that. But biblically speaking, the priority is to give people the truth. Because that's going to change the trajectory of their life. That's going to change their, that's going to, that's going to dislodge, you know, wrong concepts and wrong ideas and the things. There's something wonderful and powerful because, you know, was it... Um, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, speaking about the Word of God, it's, it's sharp, it's powerful, it's alive, and it's active. And when the truth comes into the soul and into someone's life, it has a way of dislodging you know, things that are untrue. Uh, philosophies and ideas and concepts you know, that we learn in school, you know, they're all part of uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the philosophies of man out there. And, uh, and people are looking for something to plug their life into. I can remember uh, for myself reading a lot of uh, philosophy right before I got saved, just looking to plug myself into something. But there's nothing like the, the Word of God and the truth of God because, it's, again, it's alive, it's active, it is powerful, it will reach in. Uh, you know, what is, uh, I think of, uh, what's it, Psalm 66 perhaps? It says he sent forth his Word and he healed them. And there's amazing healing spiritually, emotionally that takes place when the truth of God gets into someone's life. So be careful that we, I think we need to be careful that we don't underestimate, you know, what God's word and what God's truth, you know, can do, uh, you know, as we, you know, as we share it with someone or as we read it for ourselves. Uh, be very careful because I think at times we can underestimate, well, what good is that going to do, you know, kind of thing. Remember, again, it's God's truth. It's not just words on a page. Um, that it has power to change uh, the entire heart and the life of that particular person. 
Now, in verse 35 and 6, we, we see a contrast here. We're, we look at the disciples. Um, we see how they're going to handle this particular problem. And, uh, and yet how the Lord handles it is so different. That's why we find it, you know, how sometimes maybe we want to fix a situation. And we're fixers. You know, we're resourceful as Americans, aren't we? Um, and, and even more so sometimes as Christians. That's why be very careful. Be very, very careful as a Christian how you counsel somebody. I've seen some real messes when, when, when Christians inadvertently are giving their opinions um, to somebody else in a particular situation. I've seen some messy situations. So I think we need to be very careful and prayerful um, about what we share because uh, it, it, uh, uh, it, may not, you know, it, it may not be exactly what the Lord wants you to share with that particular person. And I've seen, again, counseling that has really run amok and, um, and, and taken people, you know, in uh, the wrong particular direction. Uh, God's ways are, are higher than our ways, amen? And, uh, and not that we can't share. Yeah, I think we can counsel. I think that's important. I think we exhort people, encourage people. Um, there's, a, there's a very important time for that and there's a need for that. But I think we have to be very careful um, that we're not just sharing something that's our opinion, uh, that, but it's something that's Bible-based that's really going to help someone. So anyway, what they say in verse 36 is, you know, the, send them away. Man, this is a deserted place. There's no way that we can meet this particular need. Now, here's the thing about the disciples. They were completely aware of their own inability and their own insufficiency. But at the same time, too, they were totally ignorant of the fact that the master was in the midst. And again, this goes back to the fact that they didn't fully really apprehend who was with them. They didn't understand. Their version, I think, you know, or understanding perhaps of Messiah was just some powerful prophet who would come and deliver them from their political circumstances. But here was God in their midst. His mission was totally different than what they thought. And that's why, that's why he was put on the cross, by the religious authorities. Even more so than the Romans, the, the, the religious authorities, the one that really pushed his crucifixion because they didn't understand his mission. And sometimes that can happen in religious circles, people, you know. Uh, they, have a certain, you know they have a certain mission, certain things that they want to accomplish. Uh, sometimes I've seen, you know, a certain ministry bite the dust. And you know what? It was the best thing. Uh, that it simply, you know, it, it didn't, it, you know, it didn't accomplish what they, what, you know, sometimes, you know, we in ministry wanted to accomplish. Uh, we want God to be glorified. We want to, we want to line up with his plan and his purpose, whatever that particular, whatever that may be. So again, here, send them away. That's the answer. Let, you know, just send them back. Uh, you know, they realized that they couldn't meet the need here. But again, they didn't understand the power of the one who was standing there and what he could accomplish. And, and I imagine as this whole situation took place, it must have actually blown their minds. Sometimes God's directive in our life seems irrational. And, and I tend to be a logical person. But sometimes God calls us to take a step of faith and to do something that takes us, and when I say irrational, I mean takes us out of our comfort zone. You know, sometimes, you know, we like to serve God as long as it's convenient. 
but we find oftentimes it's not comfortable and it's not convenient. He wants to take, take us beyond our own limitations sometimes that we put on our own personalities. Well, I can't do that. <laughs> I can remember um, the first time uh, in, in full-time ministry, uh, I was asked to preach a sermon to fill in for Pastor Bill Gillington. This was back in the, probably the mid-80s. Uh, and uh, there was about a thousand people there. And all I can remember from that sermon is sweat uh, rolling down my back and saying to myself, I will never do this again. And uh, you can see the Lord had other, other ideas about that. But again, I was looking at my own you know, limitations and you know, my own feelings and my own emotions. And we find that the Lord, he wants to take us out of our comfort zone. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why I don't like to travel. It's one of the reasons I want to go to Vietnam, because I knew it was going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, uh, I think we probably logged about 40 hours uh, in an airplane uh, altogether, not just flying to, we had a flight to Beijing, down to Kunming, over to Vietnam, uh, back to Haiku, and Haiku to Kunming, and back to Beijing, and back again to the United States. <laughs> and, uh, and I knew I would be out of my comfort zone. But I knew something also, too. I knew the Lord wanted me to go. And I'll tell you what, when he just sometimes says, tells us to, to take a step of faith or to do something, uh, it may cut across the grain of, you know, of our personality or uh, our own particular limitations. But I'll tell you what, when God takes us out of our limitations, it's because he wants to do something. He wants to use us in a unique way that we would say, no, 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 I don't want to do that. But then we just discover you know, the grace of God, the power of God. And, and you know, when it happens, you're, you're, you're buoyed up. Your faith, is, your faith grows. And it's just strengthened, you know, for whatever that next challenge or whatever it might be that the Lord is prompting you or I to do. So this is one of those times in verse 37. So he says to them very simply, you give them something to eat. <laughs> Here's the thousands of people, 5,000 men, probably all together, seven to 8,000 with with. with, with with the wives, the ladies, and, and with the kids. And, uh, and again, they're discovering in and of themselves their insufficiency. Tell you what, that's not a revelation we like, but it's a revelation we need to realize, hey, we're insufficient about things. You know, Paul said our sufficiency in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he said our sufficiency is of God. Because he came to a place and to a point in his life where he was just, as a matter of fact, that, you know, turn, turn, if you don't want to turn with me, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And he shares about one of his uh, experiences in the book of Acts. And uh, if you remember on a second missionary journey, he's traveling through Tur Turkey, which is Asia Minor. The Holy Spirit forbids him to go to the right and to the left. So they come to the end of the road. It's a place called Troas. And there's been no doors at this particular time that have been open. And he's probably wondering what in the world is going on because there's nothing ahead of him except the Aegean Sea. Nothing but water in front of him. Lord, what are you doing? You're closing doors here. You're closing doors there. And remember, that's when he has the vision of the man of Macedonia saying, hey, come over and help us. And so he realizes that God has given them this open door to come over. And of course, we know it wasn't easy. What happens when he gets to Philippi? And that was really the one big place where God really began to work. He gets thrown in jail. <laughs> but listen to what he says about this event. 
In verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 14 of 2 Corinthians, he says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge every place. Paul came to realize, as he looked back at what seemed to be failures and strikeouts and closed doors, he looks back and says, Lord, you were leading me all the time. You were leading me, in a, and, he, and the triumph here was actually a picture, the Roman procession. It was a victory march. And, and so often the case, you know, with, with, with you and I, you step out in faith, you want to follow the Lord, you want to believe Him, and, and it seems to be doors are closed. Lord, what's happening? Failure? I, one of the things that, you know, one of the things interesting that happened when we got to Vietnam Everything changed from what uh, we, had, we had heard. And I tell you, initially, man, I really struggled with that. It wasn't the picture that we were painted or, 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 or given. But the people that God wanted there was there. And you know what was interesting? I come to find out that one of the men who were there was my age. And as a North Vietnamese soldier, he fought in South Vietnam in the same sector that I fought. And man, we had a reconciliation. And we were hugging on one another. And uh, it, it was just a, a very interesting experience um, that here was, you know, and it's, isn't it, you know, what, what was interesting about it, I was teaching on Ephesians chapter 2 about how the cross reconciles people. And I pointed, when I was sharing that, because we had been, we had met and, and been talking before that I got to that chapter, and I pointed him out to the rest of the group that was there, and I come to find out there were four other people that were NVA soldiers my age in that group. They were women. Because when we fought in Vietnam, um, North Vietnamese, they, women were in their, in their ranks. They weren't always frontline soldiers, but they were in the ranks. And it was just an incredible, uh, they all wanted to, you know, they're all hugging on me afterwards and we're taking pictures. And it was just, it was just, you know, uh, now, because I wasn't even, I wasn't even going to tell them, you know, that I was a U.S. Marine and I was their enemy, because we we bombed North Vietnam into oblivion. And so I imagine that they were, their lives, their families were affected by that. But when it came, when it came right down to it, I couldn't stop. I couldn't. I couldn't help myself. The Holy Spirit just had me share it. And uh, but the reconciliation that that He brought out of that was. I didn't intend to share that this morning, but it just kind of it keeps popping up, you know, in my in my thoughts. But anyway, look at verses 16 in in Corinthians here. He says uh, that our lives are a fragrance; they're an aroma. But look what he says at the end of verse 16: Who is sufficient for these things? In and of ourselves, we're not sufficient, but He is. He's the sufficient one. That's in our lives. He's the enabler. He's the empowerer. 
And he calls us so often to things where we just sense our great insufficiency and inadequacy. And the reason he does that, he says, I want to show you what I want to do through you. Because you know what? You can see it all day long in the lives of other people. But when you see God working through your life, it's transformational. And when that happens, you, you, you begin to think, Lord, if you can do this in me, you can do this in anybody. That's the grace of our God. That's the power that lives within us. The power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, though we be very insufficient in and of ourselves. Looking at verse 38, I think this is a, an important principle that not only for the disciples, but we need to learn this as well. Because when he says here, you give to them, they had nothing significant of their own. What did they have? Five little, kind of more like biscuits or rolls. I mean, they weren't like, you know, big French bread, you know, kind of a thing. Or did you ever see that big thing, that big German thing of, you know, pumpernickel or whatever? It's like, uh, you know, it's just, you know, that big, looks like a giant dino turd or something like that. And uh, they were, it wasn't that big. They were like little biscuits, you know, little rolls. And the fish were like sardines, little sardines. And so it seemed absolutely ludicrous that you could do anything with this. But you know what? Everything changes when we just simply put it in the master's hands. That's the, that's the transformation when, when you put it in his hands. Now, the thing is, he didn't need the bread and fish to do this. He didn't need that. He could have just said, ex nihilo, out of nothing. He didn't even need the disciples to distribute it. He could have had angels do that. Or instantly it could have been a box lunch at everybody's feet. <laughs> he could have done it all in a very miraculously supernatural way. But this is God's way. He takes the smallest, the smallest thing that we give to him. And when we do that, he'll bring the greatest blessing out of it. We need to do that, I think, most importantly, don't we, with our lives, with our problems, with our circumstances, with our situations. I think sometimes, again, we, 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 can, we can underestimate the, the power of faith and believing him and trusting him to do what he and he alone can do. So they're commanded to sit down in groups. It's interesting, this word groups, uh, in the original language, it's basically used of a garden, rows of vegetables, <laughs> And so they all sit down in rows of vegetables. And it kind of reminds me of what Paul said at one point. He said, you are God's cultivated field. And let me ask you right now, what's going on in your life? Your life is like a garden. Sometimes, you know what? The garden has to get turned over. The weeds have to get pulled out. There's a cultivation taking place right now in your life. Whatever your circumstances, whatever your situation is, maybe, maybe right now in your life, the sun is shining on your garden. And if that's happening, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But maybe it's raining. Or, or maybe there's been, there's been those little critters that come into your garden and just sort of eat the fruit. Uh, we have some tomatoes um, that we, we planted close to the house, and we noticed the bottoms of them were eaten out. And uh, 
we realized that it was, we have rabbits in the yard and we have, we have pretty good mice colony in the yard. And they're ba they were basically going out there and just emptying our garden out. And sometimes there are things like that in life. They, they, they eat away your fruit. But he's cultivating. Another thing about a garden, sometimes you get fertilizer thrown on you. Okay? Nobody likes that. Okay. But I'll tell you what, fertilizer, it'll make things grow. We are his cultivated garden. And just to look to him, whatever, whatever maybe you can't understand, whatever might be going on, don't ever lose the, the, the fact that God is sovereign, that God is sovereign and that he is working in eternal, supernatural purpose that so often we do not see. In conclusion, <clears throat> verse 41, 42, he looked up to heaven. Uh, he blessed, broke the bread, and multiplied it. They all ate and they were filled. So let me just say this. The Lord will take and he will bless and he will work whatever we are willingly, whatever we willingly offer him. But that's the key, isn't it? It has to be willing. We have to offer it to him. We, we, have to, we have to give to him. We have to give to him our problems. Maybe we have to give to him our, our, our depression, you know, our struggle, our, our unforgiveness. Or maybe it's just turning our life over to him. You know, sometimes you know, we hold on to things. Well, I want you, God, but I still want to run my own life. I still want to you know, run my own schedule. And God says, hey, I want your time. I want more of your time. I, I want to get into this particular area of your life. And we just have to willingly. See, we can't change ourselves. That's the, that's the deal. We can't, we can't change ourselves. Um, psychologists, though they, they try, they, you, know, you come to realize that you just can't, you can't change you know, who we are on the inside. You know, we do it all the time outside. We try to change ourselves. And sometimes that's a good thing. But, but internally, spiritually, only he can do that. And so as we simply offer up and we, we give to him, all of our insufficiencies, all of our weaknesses, all of our sins, all of our problems, all the, you know, I think, I think even before I knew Christ, um, I don't know about you, but do you remember making resolutions at New Year's? I remember one of the resolutions I was making in my early 20s because I wanted to quit smoking. And uh, I'd make these resolutions. And uh, two weeks into it, it's like, phew, Gone. Because there's weakness there. There's an inability. There's a powerlessness. You know, you can have the, you can have the thought, yeah, I want to do that. I want to see that change. But as far as the, 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 the performing of it, it's just simply not there. But I tell you what, he can do what we cannot do. Uh, we have an opportunity now to just, you know, look to him. There's something we need to give to him. Something that we need to just sort of relinquish and turn over. It's, it's, a, it's a willing issue. It's a willing thing. And uh, if we're willing, he's able. He has the power. He has the ability.
and he will accomplish what we cannot because of who he is. He's our great shepherd. That's it. Great shepherd, good shepherd, chief shepherd. And Lord, we thank you for that, that you were willing to come to this earth. Lord, to give your life to hang on a cross. Lord, to become our substitute. Lord, to take our punishment and to actually become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. We celebrate that today. We say thank you. And Lord, we give to you today. We open up our lives to you. And if there's something, Lord, that we have to relinquish and give up, Lord, may we do it now with just a willingness. Lord, just by faith, to surrender ourselves to you anew and afresh. And to receive, Lord, we pray. Lord, that strength, Lord, that ability. Lord, that work of your spirit that we might marvel at what you have done and what you have wrought. So, Lord, we thank you for resurrection power. Lord, because you gave your life, that, Lord, we might have life and have it more abundantly. So, Lord, we say thank you on this week of Thanksgiving. Lord, we are eternally grateful for all that you've done, all that you've wrought. And, Lord, I pray now as we receive these emblems that, Lord, we know there are only symbols and emblems, but, Lord, they speak of a power much greater than themselves. Lord, we recognize, Lord, your shed blood that forgives our sins. And, Lord, receive, Lord, your body. We thank you for that. And we pray that, Lord, you strengthen us with your might, Lord, in the inner person, that we might live for Christ, that we might give you glory and praise and honor. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you this week, and may you truly have a thankful week, and may he use you with your family and your friends, and if maybe perhaps you're here Thursday, we'll see you then. Lord bless.